turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 14. We've gone through the names of God in the Heidelberg Catechism, and now we turn to, or rather the names of the Son of God, and now we turn to the acts of the Son of God. What do you confess when you say, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus he is also the true seed of David, and like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Beloved in the Lord, you might have heard the phrase, he should have skin in the game, this phrase, skin in the game. It's the concept that those who forecast a certain future or advocate for a certain course of action should bear the consequences if they are wrong. If you're pushing for some course of action, you should also, um, in a sense, pay if that action is wrong. To give an example, if you study World War I, the French and sometimes the British troops would become mutinous in, their, in, the, in the trenches because they perceived that their officers and leaders, more generally, were fighting a war for their own interests. They did not care about the suffering of the troops who died for them because they did not need to experience the horror that the common soldier appear, experienced in the trenches. The soldiers saw themselves as cannon fodder for the sake of a future for the elites, a future that had nothing to do with them. There was no skin in the game for their leaders. And people will accuse God for their sufferings as well, claiming that he is far above them, that he commands things that they are not able to do, that the things of men do not matter to God. But... The incarnation of Jesus Christ demonstrates, once and for all, as it were, God's love. His willingness to enter into our suffering for our sake. One answer to these type of complaints is, who are you, O oh man, to complain about how the, uh, to, to complain about the God who made you. The other answer to those who have ears to hear, to those who are humble and patient, is Jesus Christ. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, the world dwelt among us in the flesh. First, we'll see the coming of the word. So we'll talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And second, the whole Christ that would be connected to the benefits we receive in Christ. God promises his people that he will be their God and they will be his people. 
God promises that he will bring salvation. He promises that those who live by faith will be justified. He promises that he will crush the serpent's head through the seed of the woman. It turns out that all along God's plan was to put skin in the game. He would demonstrate his love and faithfulness in Jesus Christ. He would give away to righteousness so that he not only commands us, but he gives us all we need so that we may hear and obey those commands. We can imagine other ways in which God might have revealed himself to us after we had already been estranged through the sin of Adam. Many of those ways are found in the Bible already. God's initial revelation to his people. He spoke at Mount Sinai. He spoke through Moses. He sent angels with messages. All these ways showed something to the people of God of Israel who God was. But God was to do much more. He would literally put his own skin in the game. But God is not a man that he should suffer. We confess in the Belgic Confession that God is a simple being. What does that mean? It doesn't mean the opposite of wise, the way in which we often use the word simple today. The word simple means that God has no parts. He cannot be divided. I have parts, my arms, my legs. They can be removed from me. Because of high, I have parts, I change. My hair grows and needs to be cut. I grow fatter and thinner. I remember things. I forget things. In God, the book of James says, there is no shadow of turning. God is perfect. God's being God's nature cannot change. It has no part, so God cannot suffer. He is holy himself. So how can God come and show that he has skin in the game? How can God show that he really does care for the people that he has preserved for himself, that he does care for the creation that has been broken in the fall? God creates a skin for himself. To the Greeks and to, to the many false religions, the idea that the infinite would become human was blasphemy. Creation was so much less than God. Essentially, creation was corrupt. How can you say that the most high, glorious God would humble himself in that way. At least part of this was a misunderstanding. God the Most High did not make his own nature less by becoming a man. Rather, he humbled himself by adding, by adding to himself a human nature. The eternal Son of God took upon himself true human nature says the catechism. He didn't make God less, 
Rather, it added something to God. John 1, verse 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word, that's another way of saying the Son of God, added to himself a human nature. The Word of God that God used to speak the world into existence now speaks a flesh and blood body into existence. How? Through the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The God who healed so many barren wombs throughout history comes to dwell in the womb of a virgin. Luke 1 verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The work of the Holy Spirit here reflects his work in Genesis 1 verse 2. And the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. The work of the Holy Spirit in making a new creation reflects the divinity of Christ. This is something new. That matter and divinity are connected in a way they have not been before. The Holy Spirit, after all, is making a new person. The flesh and blood of Mary, of the Virgin Mary, on the other hand, emphasize the true humanity of Christ. And that's especially what the catechism here wants to bring across, the true humanity of Christ. Thus he is like the true seed of David in every respect, yet without sin. Christ isn't a human body that is energized by a divine nature. That's what might, we might refer today as an avatar, a body that is dwelt by some spirit that is outside of the body. Christ isn't an avatar. Christ isn't made of some superhuman flesh like Superman or the X-Man, X-Men. Christ is fully and truly man. Christ's mind, Christ's soul, Christ's will are all completely and entirely human. He's like us in every respect. He needed to eat and drink. He, in his human nature, did not know everything. He was taught through the Spirit of God. He had to learn, we read in Luke 2. We can even see that in his Olivet Discourse, where he says, only the Father knows the hour and day of the coming judgment. His human, human nature has all the limits that our human natures have. He cannot be in more, place, uh, more than one place at once. His body experiences cold, exhaustion, and death. Yet he is without sin. Christ was tempted in every way that we are, that we are according to the scriptures. He understands our weaknesses. He understands what it is to be flesh. Yet he was born without the evil desires that are so natural to us. God, being all-knowing, would understand our weaknesses without becoming flesh. 
but order to demonstrate that, to prove it, he willingly sent the word to become flesh for our sake. He knew that our minds, our hearts, were so focused on the things of this earth that we had to see that in earthly form in order to have our hearts lifted up to heaven. He demonstrated his love in a way that was unmistakable. Again, so that we who were focused on the things of earth and had forgotten the things of heaven would see the glory of God in the flesh. John 1.14, And the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father. God had promised that he would bring salvation to his people. He had promised another way. He called his people to live in faith before him, but his people kept wandering away from him. Even the best of them, Moses, Samuel, and Elijah, had sin in their lives and could not provide the way of salvation for his people, the way to be reconciled to God. So God took the work of salvation on himself. Isaiah 59 speaks of this state of affairs. God sees the lack of righteousness, truth, and justice. The Lord saw it, and and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. God says, I will come down, I will plead for my people, and I will give them a way of righteousness. God puts himself on the line. It's important here to see the closeness between the human nature of Christ and the divine nature of Christ. They are completely distinct, and yet they cannot be separated. John 1 verse 14 emphasizes that truth. The word became flesh, and we have seen his glory. We have seen the Father in Jesus Christ. The fullness of the Father is in Jesus Christ. Just as God's glory was revealed, revealed itself in the tabernacle, Exodus 40 verse 34 and 35, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Just as that glory was in the tabernacle, so that glory was in Christ. This is what allows Thomas, when he sees the risen Christ, to exclaim, My Lord and my God! Even though the human nature and the divine nature are distinct, all the titles and all the glory that belongs to the divine nature belongs to the human nature as well. Hebrews 1 verse 3 puts it this way. Speaking of Jesus Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And this same person upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's what allowed the early church to say, the Son of God, the Word, 
suffered in the flesh. God experienced what it was to be human for our sake. Because of the way it's been misused, the the Reformed have sometimes sometimes been a little nervous about saying God suffered in the flesh or God died in the flesh. But that should not be a problem for us because the human nature and the divine nature are thoroughly united in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, man and God, is our Lord God who took on flesh for our sake. God has experienced all the suffering and worse. Worse suffering than anything which he might call us to suffer for his sake. That brings us to our second point, the whole Christ. So what does all this benefit us? Why does it matter? We've already shown something of that and that this is the way God demonstrated his love for us. And now the fact that he came in the flesh demonstrates that God is willing to accept the consequences of the promises of salvation that he has always given to his people. He gave those promises and he's going to keep those promises by putting his own flesh on the line. But the benefits of the incarnation are far more than just making us feel good that God is sharing in our sufferings. The benefits are he is our mediator. That goes back to Lord's Day 5 and 6, where we're taught to look for someone who's both true and righteous man and true God. Christ is that mediator, and everything that he does is for the sake of that role. He's intervening between us us and God, so that we may be restored to God. The word became flesh for you. Are you willing to receive that love? He loved you so that you might be able to love him. The catechism adds that as mediator, with his innocence and perfect holiness, covers in the sight of God, my sin in which I was conceived and born. The thing that the Catechism chooses to emphasize here has always intrigued me. Why pick this point particularly for the birth of Christ? Wasn't it on the cross where Christ dealt with my sin? What does his birth have to do with that? Of course, he had to be born in order to do his work of dying on the cross, But the Catechism's emphasis on this seems to point us to something more. The Catechism also uses the word cover rather than take away. There's something about Christ's incarnation that gives us a covering. Think back again to the words of John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as the glory of the only Son of the Father. When God's glory is revealed in the Old Testament, the people need protection. God comes down to Mount Sinai and and he cloaks himself with darkness in order to protect his people from his glory. God comes down into the temple and the sanctified temple protects the people from God's glory. The people of Israel need the sprinkling of blood. The mercy seat needs to be sprinkled. The curtain needs to be sprinkled. The priests need to be sprinkled. All to protect people from dying in the face of the glory of God. 
Now God has become flesh. It's interesting how often the people around Jesus are filled with fear during his life. They sense he's more than an ordinary man. But Jesus' flesh has become a protection to those around him. A protection so that the Christian may approach God in the flesh. Sinful flesh. The word for dwelt in John 1.14 literally means tabernacle. To tabernacle among us. He tabernacled among us. Jesus' flesh is the new tabernacle, the new temple. In his, in his life that is most clearly revealed in his transfiguration, where he goes up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there God allows Peter, James, and John to see something of the greatness of the glory of Christ. Hebrews 10 puts it this way, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, the curtain, think covering here, that is through his flesh. The flesh of Jesus by dying and rising again. The flesh that was created through the Holy Spirit of the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary has been brought to the throne of God where we can now approach God because we have this great mediator. His flesh is between us and God. Hebrews 10 adds that since we have this confidence, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We see the reference to baptism. We have the promise of washing for all our sin in our entire life if we continue to look to Jesus. From 1 John 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. The word for propitiation is also used for the ark or the mercy seat in the Old Testament. Christ in the flesh sits at the right hand of God as a promise to take away all sin. As a promise that I may approach the Father. His flesh is there so that any person may come to him in faith and receive all his benefits. The point of all this is that when we are in Christ, when we respond to him in faith, he offers himself fully to us. That's why I titled this point, The Whole Christ. There's nothing that he holds back to us, from us, of himself. There have been many controversies in the, in the history of the church over how, how much we receive of the benefits of Christ. There's been many arguments over what language to use. The simple truth is that Christ offers us everything. And we need nothing more for our salvation than what Christ freely, freely provides. We receive the whole Christ. His incarnation is for us. 
Everything he did, his fulfillment of the law is for us. His death and resurrection are for us. You're called to believe. And you don't need to add anything to that. As the catechism begins to speak about the works of Christ, as we begin to go through the works of Christ, the catechism reminds us that everything that Christ is, is for us. That's why theologians will tell us that it's our unity with Christ that ties everything that we have in Christ together. I have the innocence of the baby Jesus. I have the perfect holiness of the baby Jesus. Besides everything else he accomplished in his life. We began by talking about skin in the game. Many leaders in history did not have skin in the game. Many were forced to have skin in the game. In Greece, in ancient Greece, generals who failed were often shamed, exiled, or worse. And we can even find examples in history of some who willingly, they understood this principle, and they put their skin in the game to show that they cared for their people, to inspire their people. But none can compare with the great love of God, who fully and intentionally put on human flesh to die for a people who by nature hated him. He loved us first so that we may love him. When God sends, his, sends the Son to put on flesh, he demonstrates a love for his people that the prophets, priests, and kings of this world cannot show. And in that, he gives of himself for the sake of his people in a way that no man can do. For our Lord Jesus Christ is the infinite, almighty, eternal God who is willing to show infinite love to his people. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let's sing of our King, who is also our shepherd, who protects us and feeds us in our walk of life with the words of Psalm 23.